Thank you for that reading. And also, man, did you see the ABCs? I was wondering what he was going to do with, you know, Z and Y. I was just like, what is that going to be? And that was pretty legit. I like it. Well, as you know, I like to encourage you guys to read the Word of God. Let me encourage you, to, especially in light of today's message, read Psalm 133. Psalm 133, it's, it's a short psalm. Read it. Pray over it. I encourage you to read it with someone else. And I also encourage you, whoever you're praying with, read it with them. And I encourage you to continue praying. Pray, pray, pray. Pray that you can give the gospel to someone. Pray that through your prayer, someone will become saved. Just keep praying. You know, Easter's going to come. I know Easter's not, you know, it's like, well, Easter. Well, think about it. Easter's a wonderful time to tell people about Jesus. Start praying now that God prepares that person's heart, whoever you're going to talk to. Right? Start praying now for those divine appointments. You know, don't just wait to the day of. Start praying now. Say, hey, Lord, I know Easter's coming. I know Christmas is coming. I know Thanksgiving's coming. All these big holidays where you end up meeting people, talking more. Pray that God will use these opportunities. Prep your heart now. Prep your mind now to be ready for that time comes. Because it'll come. It will come. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Speaking of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. Uh, just so grateful, Lord, that we can uh, come together, uniting under you. But Lord, right now I want to ask that uh, you help all of us, Lord, to be convicted of our sins as we, we come before you. To be convicted and then, rem- and then to be reminded that we have been forgiven. That you knew everything we were going to do, everything, all the mess-ups we were going to have, all the sins, all the failures, all the pride, all the wretchedness, the wretched thoughts and emotions that are all going to come about this week. And your son, he forgave it. And he knows all the sins we're going to do tomorrow and throughout the week, and yet he forgave it. God, help us remember that so we can be empowered, empowered by your grace to rely upon you. And as we do that, Lord, that we can be transformed by your power. Lord, we pray for all those churches that are meeting across the world in whatever capacity, whether that be on the tops of hills, underground, or in small, small, small homes, wherever that may be, Lord, that they all be encouraged to know that we are united in the name of Jesus and the gates of hell will not stop the gospel. Help us, Lord, to also be encouraged in that, that the gates of hell will not stop the gospel, that you use broken tools to plant your wonderful, beautiful kingdom. Help us to be bold and brave in that. Not in ourselves, but in your word and in your promise. To know that even if we mess up, and whatever, even our failures, Lord, you use. And even our best is not good enough, but yet you use it anyways. Help us to always be encouraged to know that all things are working for the good of those who love you. And Lord, I pray we love you more and more every day. And if someone does not know you here today, Lord, I pray they come to know you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So as we come to this uh, final part, uh, or, you know, part three of our kind of a mini-series here in this, uh, uh, the beginning of chapter four, mini-series of a gracious community, you know, it's important for us always to remember that the gospel of God's grace truly is uh, the answer to all of our problems in this world. The answer to all of our problems in our personal life, in our relational life, in our, in our work life, in our home life, church life, whatever, with whatever. Wherever you go, whatever you do, the gospel of God's grace is really the answer. 
And I know that sounds cliche. I know that sounds like kind of like a cop-out, especially if you're going through a hard time. I know it doesn't seem practical because this world is a very complicated place. You know, our, our relationships, our situations can become very complicated. And simply saying that the gospel of God's grace is, is the answer you need kind of seems that to some or maybe to a bunch, you know, out of touch with reality. But let me tell you, let me tell you this. That is the struggle we face every day. The struggle in thinking that the gospel of God's grace is not relevant to our everyday life. And as we, we meander with such ideas, as we give in to such thoughts, as we let our hearts kind of wander away from the message of, of the gospel of God's grace, thinking that it's not relevant to all of life, guess what? We fall right into sin. You know, whether that be kind of like a self-righteousness or maybe into a despair of defeat, which kind of all amounts to selfishness anyways, or really that's what sin amounts to, a self-centeredness. That's what sin is ultimately, where life is all about you at the expense of others, which is the very opposite of the gospel message. You know, life becomes all about this idea of, you know, of, of gaining rather than giving, in, uh, rather than investing, rather than helping or uplifting or encouraging and promoting and loving. You know, again, you, you might think, well, you know, if we live in such a way that is selfless, this world is going to tear you apart if you live like that. And you're right in some sense. Because that's exactly what happened to Christ. But selflessness was his way of obtaining victory over the world. You know, this world crucified the all-giving Messiah, the all-loving anointed of God, the the servant of mankind, the God-man, Jesus Christ. But yet through his death, through his selflessness, through his sacrifice for our sins, he conquered this very world as its true king. And he saved you and me. Not because of anything we've done. Trust me, you weren't good enough. But simply out of his love for you and me. That's it. Through him serving us with his life, death, and resurrection, he not only overthrew this world's authorities and powers and saved us at the same time, but he also then gave us everything. He became our everything. He is our source for everything, all through faith in Him. See, sin affects all areas of our life. There's nothing that we do or about us that sin does not affect. So Christ has come to set us free from the power of sin in all areas of life through faith in Him alone. See, the more we we keep that message at the center of our hearts and our minds and our lives not forget about it, the more we keep that here, we will consequently be transformed by it through faith in Christ to be free from the power of sin in all areas of our life. So we must, by faith in Christ, fight the lie that the gospel of God's grace is not relevant to all of our life whether we are at work or parenting or or shopping at the store or whatever, driving down the street. For 
think of it, if you think, well, that seems kind of weird. Look, that is our call as Christians. That's what Paul stated in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That's your whole life. So as we, by faith in Christ, dwell on this freeing grace in our life now, that's the calling, freeing grace over all of our life, there will be wonderful consequences that come about us. Wonderful consequences such as humility and gentleness and patience and love being worked in us, as Paul has already stated in, in verse 2 of chapter 4. When we focus when the focus is on Jesus and his glorious works rather than your own, you end up doing the very works you're called to do through faith in him. You end up walking in them, as Paul stated earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ for, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. But again, this comes through focusing on Jesus and, and his gospel. And, and for the context here, for chapter 4, not only does such wonderful character quality sprout up in us as we look to the gospel, it also produces such character qualities in others as we help others look to Jesus. Or more specifically, for the direct context of Ephesians, as we help other Christians focus on the gospel of God's grace, Christ's finished work on their behalf and our behalf, we begin to reflect a gracious community more and more as we gather together. For truly, in Christ, in Christ we have everything we need as Christians to be a one people of God. Which is why Paul states in chapter 4, verse 3, which is our text today that we're looking at, he says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And when you look at this passage, you kind of get like this major glimpse of, of what Christ has accomplished upon the cross for all of us here. For truly, solidarity, loneliness, isolation, racism, prejudice, judgmentalism, and anything that would really divide someone from uniting with, another, with other Christians over things like politics or life habits or ways of ministry in the name of Jesus, all that has been overcome in Christ. All through the cross. And that brings us to our very first point. A gracious community pursues, pursues unity from and in Christ. In that order. From and in Christ. Now, it's important here to understand what Paul is not saying before we move on. Notice, First, that he does not say be eager to make unity, to force others or to fix others to be unified. Rather, Paul is encouraging us to maintain the unity that is already there, that has already been purchased and blessed and given to us from Christ by faith in him. Now, why does that matter? Well, think, well, because if we think that we have to make a unity between Christians who trust in Christ, then we'll end up making a conformity rather than a unity of people in the name of Jesus. 
the focus would become more self-centered rather than Christ-centered. It becomes an eagerness to focus on a human organization rather than trying to manifest a unity from and in Christ. For the unity that Paul is, is focused on here and to which we are to be eager to maintain is a unity in which has already brought a diversity of all people together in the name of Jesus through faith in Him. It is a, a, a spiritual unity that has already broken down the barriers that would cause quarrels amongst us, that would cause us not to unite with each other because of some background or political or philosophical or life value or belief. Or put differently, there is much in this world today that can cause divisions amongst us here in this room, that can and will bring disunity to us in this place if we forget the unifying power of the gospel of God's grace that we have right now in Jesus Christ that has overcome it all. For we have, as Paul says, a unity in the spirit in the bond of peace. See, it's through the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit, which who is in you right now, if you have faith in Christ, it is through relying upon his power from him to remind you and help you realize that you have true peace with God and true peace with the very Christian sitting next to you because of what Christ has done upon the cross. What he did for you was he, what he also did for the person that's in front of you or behind you. You have a bond with the person next to you that's not like anything else in this world. We have a bond that is a true peace with each other. That can never be attained by the world or attained by what we do. It's all done. Or really it has been done all through faith in Christ. His work did it all. But not only here with the Christians in this room, there's also a true eternal bond with all the Christians around the world. In the city, at your work, in your neighborhoods. And if you're not the only Christian in your home or family, you have an eternal bond there too. I know some of you are like, oh man. But we should be eager to maintain the unity that we have here on this earth. That's eternal. There's an eternal bond or unity between all of us that goes beyond this world that we should definitely be eager to maintain. And I know some of you are asking, but how? How are we to maintain that or keep it and not force it? Well, the way you do it is always by remembering the great cost at which it was attained for us. Jesus died to bring and give us a, this spiritual unity. So we never have to be alone. We never have to be on our own. We never have to be isolated. We never have to be abandoned. And we never have to be as much as the world wants us to be. We never have to be at war with each other, with other Christians, on anything. Whatever you can think of, that's what I mean by anything. For the peace we have with God that we experience on our own also, also should be experienced with other Christians in our lives and those Christians whom we meet 
throughout the day all by the power of the Holy Spirit. Or put differently, when you come to gather on Sunday, this place should be a place of peace. A place where you can let your hair down and not tie it up tighter. A place where your stress is released, not added to. A place where your anger melts away, not burns even more. A place where your grudges will dwindle to nothing, not grow bigger and weightier. Why? Because you are reminded of the peace that you have with God and with each other because of what Christ has accomplished for you. All has been forgiven in Him and atoned for, for you and the person next to you. We like to think of it of ourselves. We don't like to think of it of the person next to us. Now, does that mean there won't be differences that rub up against each other? Does that mean there won't be any strong opinions that are at odds with each other on small or even big issues in the world or life? No, of course there will be. And, but here's the thing, that's the main, one of the main points of this verse. Paul is stating, he's fully acknowledging there will be things that are divergent amongst us and with other Christians everywhere else in the world. Of course there's going to be differences. There, there, there are many differences amongst all Christians. For where there is people, you will have difference of opinions, values, and habits. But... The fact that we can unify in the name of Christ shows that Christ is true peace amongst men and God. Unifying in Christ does not mean to conform to each other. We conform to Christ, not to each other. Christ and his ways are the goals, not yours. When we come together, we promote him, not ourselves. So, so what Paul is getting at here is that no matter how great the differences are between Christians, no matter how great the differences are amongst here locally, we never have a license to stop being eager to maintain the unity we have in Christ. For it's not just that we lay our weapons down when we come together, it's that we have no weapons at all with each other anymore. Unlike what the world says or wants. Because what Jesus has done. For we have peace now. And let me get real with you. Okay? For there may come a time when we are not able to unify with one another, in, uh, with other Christians in our life in the name of Christ. And I'll be honest... I have Christians in my life where it just seems no matter how much I invest into the relationship, the unity that we have in Christ, just not manifesting visibly. <laughs> All right? I mean, being honest. And that brings us to our second point and last point. A gracious community has a heart of unity. So yes, even your pastor has people in his life it's hard to manifest unity, the unity we have in Jesus. 
But here's the thing. Let us not lose the eagerness to manifest it. See, that's what Paul is getting at here. It's a heart issue that he's pointing at. It's a character quality in us that should be manifesting itself within us, just like humility, gentleness, patience, and love. We are called to have an eagerness, or more precisely, a continual eagerness, a constant eagerness about us and amongst us to stay unified no matter what. The word eager means to be zealous, take great pains, take every care, spare no effort, not to see failure as an option to maintain this unity. So even though the unity we have may not manifest itself between two people, the eagerness can manifest itself. Or at least it should be manifesting itself amongst you, even if the other person is rejecting it. Because the call is placed upon all of us. It's placed upon you, also you individually. So really, to be eager, it all comes from the heart. It's a heart that's gripped by the grace of God. For a heart gripped by the grace of God cares for others, lives for others, focuses their life on others for the sake of Christ at the expense of self that his name be magnified in other lives as he's being manifested in our own. And hence, a heart that goes deeper and deeper into the gospel yearns to maintain the unity in the spirit, in the bond of peace amongst fellow Christians in whatever context that may be. And there's a lot of contexts out there. Hard contexts. Tough contexts. See, an eager heart for maintaining unity sees all of life and relationships through the great equalizer of mankind, right? The cross of Jesus Christ, because he or she knows all are sinners in need of grace, just like themselves, and they want to promote God's grace in all things. For a heart gripped by grace knows that they are nothing without Jesus and knows that others have nothing without Jesus, So everything becomes about helping others know Jesus and his love for them more and more, especially for other Christians, especially amongst the brethren, other Christians in our life. For a heart gripped by grace finds everything in Jesus so they can and are able to give up everything in this world for his name. See, to reach out to others, to maintain the unity in Christ, you have to die to self. Because if we don't die to self, we end up hindering eagerness within us to keep unity. And what I mean by dying to self is that we look to Christ for everything that we are. Everything that we do, everything we say, everything we feel, we look to Christ for all of his ways to play out in our life. 
more and more, to rely upon him more and more, every day, every moment, and look to ourself less and less for such things. Because when the focus becomes about our feelings, our rights, our positions, our concerns, our ways, our desires, our hurts, our needs, and so on and so on and so on, the focus becomes all about promoting self at the expense of others rather than dying to self for the sake of others so we can promote and unite in Jesus by faith in him alone. We are all called to have this eagerness of maintaining unity towards each other and other Christians in our lives. But the big question then of maybe, well, how are we to have our hearts be a eagerness, if you will? The answer is simply you go to Jesus. He will change your heart to be such a thing if you go to him by faith. For this very thing of being unified in his name, or more specifically, you manifesting unity and having an eagerness to do so, was specifically prayed for by Jesus Christ right before he went to the cross. In John 17, Jesus prayed for his disciples that they would be one. John 17, 11 says this, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. But then Jesus prayed for you. Yes, you, not just a general y'all you, but a you. He knew you. He knew the church you would go to. He knew the Christians that would be in your life. He knew all the problems that would be arising in dealing with them. He knew all the difficulties and strange and awkward and strong opinions that would come about in your lifetime with them and other Christians. He knew about all the issues we would have to face in 2020 and all through 22 and beyond. He knew all of this and he prayed for you, for your heart to be changed. He prayed for your character to be eager to maintain the unity in his name in the name of Christ for, with other Christians. In John 17, 20, 20 through 23, Jesus prays this. I do not ask only, but I do not ask for these only, referring to the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their words or through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know you sent me and love them even as you loved me. See, Christianity is not, it's not a set of principles to follow. It's not a set of rules which bind us. No, it's a religion. Christianity is a religion. But it's a religion that's based in a relationship with the almighty living God in our life right now who empowers us to live a life of freedom by his power alone and with other Christians in this world. For Christianity is not an organization. Though we do 
organize, we do organize things. We're not an organization of human origin. We are a temple in which the Most High dwells. And in Him, through the power of the Holy Spirit, by faith in Christ, we are bound together in the bond of peace that was and is established by Jesus Christ. And by the way here, by saying bond of peace, what Paul is getting at here is really to see how deeply unified we are in Christ through what he accomplished upon the cross here. You know, don't think that's just something like, woo, bond of peace and move on. It is that through faith in Christ, we are to see ourselves as this bond of peace, to see ourselves as prisoners of peace or bound by peace now as we live amongst as we live amongst fellow Christians. So, so you think of it this way. You know how people say you're no longer bound by sin? It has no power over you? Well, now through faith in Christ, you are bound by peace. Peace is the power over you. Now through faith in Christ. The bond of peace. We're all now bond, bound, uh, bonded together in this prison of peace, if you will all through the power of the Spirit binding us in Jesus, in His peace. Paul stated earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, for He Himself is our peace. So what does that mean? I mean, I guess, what does that mean in a real world sense? It means this. Where there is peace being promoted to have unity in Christ amongst the brethren, that is the Spirit's work in their life and in your life. And where there is disunity and division being promoted, not differences, but division, that is where the very opposite of the Spirit in the bond of peace is at work. That's sin. That's where the flesh is at work. And just to make sure, to keep context... And to stay within the text so you don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. Paul is not, focus, pay attention to this. Paul is not saying peace at any cost. Because then you would have to forsake truth and you may even have to forsake the gospel itself. But if we keep the gospel at hand, if we keep it at the center to promote an eagerness within us, Paul is saying to promote peace at the cost of oneself, which will maintain the unity amongst Christians. Not peace at any cost, but peace at the cost of oneself. And that, my friends, is the key to this verse. How much are you willing to promote peace at the cost of yourself in church, at your home, with your loved ones, with your spouse, with your kids, at your job, out in the market, with your hobbies, wherever you go, how much are you willing to promote peace in the name of Christ? But that principle really applies anywhere and truly is beneficial in any situation. But it's seen, and it's being directly stated 
and most vividly exposed in the gathering of Christians, in Christian relationships amongst each other. Now that is kind of heavy. And you start asking that question. How much are you willing to promote peace? For if we really analyze what it should be, if we're honest, I know if I'm honest, we, we don't live up to that. We have failed much at that eagerness. Oh, sure, we're good with a few. But he's talking about all Christians, not just the ones you like. I know I have failed much, and I do fail much. But the gospel is good news, though, for, for in Christ, He has covered all of our failings and sins by His perfect obedience and eagerness on my behalf and your behalf through faith in Him, even though we fail much at it. He loves us anyways. And blesses us so we can rest in him and know that he's got it all covered by his blood. And as we keep that on our minds, keep the gospel at the center of it all, we will consequently then do the very things we were called to do by his power alone. We will have an eagerness sprout up in us in situations that we did not think were possible. For he will and is molding our hearts to be conformed into his likeness all through faith in him alone. That's the wonderful news of the gospel. By his power and through his power, all alone, we will be and we will reflect the gracious community that we are in Christ even more in this world at our jobs, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, and in our church, all who faith in Christ alone. For that is the promise we have in the gospel, which Paul has already stated in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no man and no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the hope of coming together in your name, to know that the burden is not on us, that the burden was all done in Jesus. We simply just have to go to you and rest in you, focusing on your beauty and what you have done. And this will change us. That's the consequence. You, you sanctify us all through the gospel. It's the consequence. It just happens. The more we focus on you. Oh God, I pray we can focus more on you. Help us, Lord, to make you be the center of our lives, the center of it all. God, and I pray if someone doesn't know you here today, that they come to know you to see that there is hope. There is a family that lasts forever. There is a love that, that, that will go into eternity. All through Jesus. I pray they come to know you. 
And God, I pray right now, if there are people in this room, Christians in this room or online who have burdens or issues or problems with other Christians, Lord, I pray they just let it go. Maybe it's even in their home life with other Christians that we don't know, but they know. God, I pray that there will be an eagerness to maintain unity, even if it's not, if it can't be seen, they can have that heart openness of openness, Lord. And not a closed fist, but an open hand that's just waiting for a great binding again amongst people. Thank you, Lord, for the cross. And thank you for forgiving us of our sins to know that even as we fail, you still love us anyways. Because that's the beauty of the gospel. All has been done in your son, simply by faith. Amen. Let's stand.